welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, welcome adventurers to episode 104 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, and it's King Scott here. And Scott, we got a big one today. It's just going to be you and me. No uh, no visitor, but we got a lot that we're talking about. A lot of uh, a lot of cool recent plays. Review game today is going to be after us. We're looking back on Burn Cycle. We've got a discussion. We're talking, I don't know, this could be a big one. We'll see in like an hour and a half or two hours when we're done recording if it was a big one. So in easier terms, we're talking about stuff. Yes, yes. Board gaming, <laughs> nerdy stuff. So uh, prior to that, I understand you're, uh, you're set to substitute teach? Yeah, I'm all set. Uh, I just signed up for my first three duties. I am... Um, Duty means poop. Nervous. Well, and, and the funny thing is, it's going to be elementary school, so I really probably couldn't say duty. <laughs> No, no, it's funny for adults too. You know, I, Scott, as you, as you know, I used to substitute teach. So like, there's a part of me that's like, oh no, poor man. But elementary was kind of fun and time flies because you constantly have things to do. High school, half the time, they're like, yeah, just give them this reading assignment, tell them to outline. And you just sit there and read the newspaper and you're, you're bored out of your brain by 1030. Actually, I had a kid that taught me doodle jump. This is when smartphones were just becoming oh, a thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah, yeah like, I remember that one. Yeah. You should try this. There. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you teaching? Reading. That's all I know. So it's going to be in an elementary school. So I have no idea what exactly is going to go on. September 6th, I pop in and they get introduced to Mr. Walton. Mr. Walton. I love it. Well, I tell you what, when Mr. Hepner got his first assignment, it was for a month, a month of teaching. And you know what subject oh, I had to good. teach? Yeah. Oh, well, it can't be bad. I mean, if you're there for a month, it should have been easy. German. I had to teach uh, German. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and and how well do you speak German? Nine is nine. Uh, nine's like no or none. I still do not speak. I can count. Eins, zwei, drei. That's all I got. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's kick off some banter, Scott. Okay, I only got yes. a couple of things, so I'm gonna I'm gonna count on you to hold things down a bit. September fifth, Barrage has a new Kickstarter with two new maps. Listeners know that I personally love Barrage, and Scott personally, I I don't think you love it. I think you'll play it, but I don't think you're like Jones and for Barrage. Yeah, I'll play it, but yeah, it's not one of those ones that I'm going to say, hey, let's play Barrage. If someone says it and they need another person, I'll jump in, but. Yeah, it's not on my, ooh, I must play this game. Okay, well, how about this then? Regardless what you're playing, the Dragon Master tiles. I mentioned these an episode or two ago. These are those hexagonal tiles that provide you with an asymmetric ability no matter what game you're playing, right? You're about to uh, play a game of Catan, deal everybody a tile, and it does a thing for you in that game. It makes you unique compared to everyone else. And I thought, man, it'd be great to have a game day where you start the day and everybody gets three tiles. You're going to play three games. And before you play, I don't know, Heat, pick one of the tiles and you get to use that for this this game, but you don't get it for the other two. I thought, man, that's a really cool way to add some asymmetry and sort of spice up a game. Dragon Master Tiles, if I'm not mistaken, it's September 13th coming to Kickstarter, so keep your eyes open for that one as well. And Scott, that's all I got, man. It's on you. Well, it's kind of funny you should say that, actually, because uh, I was cleaning up uh, the game room here, trying to get rid of some games and stuff, and I came across this little deck. 
and you talk about adding asymmetry to a game. Well, I came across this deck of cards called Suddenly Drunk. Okay. You add this to whatever game you're playing, and each round you flip over a card and you have to do it. Where it could be you have to speak in a different uh, accent for the entire time. If you don't, you got to drink. Uh, it could be an easy card where it's nothing happens. Or you flip over a card and it just says drink. So it, it looks <laughs> like drink. something interesting there that I'm going to have to like figure out how to fit this into some game coming up. But the Dragon Master tiles, I remember you talking about that. And that sounds like such a great way of just a tiny little thing adding on to a game to really open it up and make it a whole new experience. That's really awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. I'll be keeping my but eyes on. We're going to keep on saying it until you're probably tired of it, but PGX is right around the corner. September 30th and October 1st at the Monroeville Convention Center. It's 15 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. If you're in the area, you don't want to miss it. And honestly, even if you're a few hours away, it's definitely going to be worth a trip this year. Last year, they had half the convention center. This year, they have the full convention center. Mm -hmm. It's only getting bigger. One thing that I always find interesting with this group is, yeah, they have video games. They've got board games. They got some collectibles that are like, oh, God, I remember that whenever I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And then they have tattoo artists. Yeah, it's straight. There's music going on in the evenings. They've got some music, tattoos. It's kind of like, you know what I gather is the guy that runs it, it's kind of like a collection of all the things that he loves. That's the only thing I can come up with. <laughs> but yeah, that's going to be very, very cool. So once again, uh, September 30th and October 1st, and there is a Double Tree Hotel right there, right next to the convention center. So if you are coming, grab a room and just spend the night. I mean, they're probably going to be gaming going on all hours of the night so it should be a great time yeah say hi stop by the booth we're going to be giving away games all day tickets if you uh, if you play us at Clask, we'll give you a ticket if you beat us we'll give you two scott we're gonna have to play with our left hand or something we're gonna have to find a way to not dominate and it's not because we're good but it's because we will have been playing for four hours while yes, everybody else yes. is doing maybe their first play ever so we gotta we gotta figure that one out a little bit <laughs> well we'll get to it but this is something that's really fantastic here. Um, and Now, once again, you guys probably don't even think about this, but whenever you guys write reviews, it really means a lot to us. So we got this review from, of all people, Adventurer Scott. Scott, did you uh, write this review for us? No, no, no relation, no relation. Okay. He says, this is the board game podcast I didn't know I needed, but I can't live without. Right there. I mean, oh my God, how can you go up from there? But he does. I'm a solo gamer, largely because my friends and family look at me sideways when I talk about gaming, and I find people in real life exhausting. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I listen to the podcast to stay abreast of new games and feel like I'm a part of the conversation of what I like and don't like about various games. With this podcast, I feel like I'm in a conversation with a few guys that I've been friends with for years. Yeah. For Patrick's, oh, Patrick's absurd dad-level jokes are 100% my bag. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Scott and I share a name. <laughs> so that's a great start. But I also enjoy his auditory eye rolls and his passion for the games he enjoys. 
The format is wonderful, especially the 8-bit breakdown, and the music is worth tuning in for alone. Great podcast, guys. Hey, I feel like we need it. We need our clap track for us. We'll, yeah, uh, we'll yeah, scratch yeah, our yeah. back Ooh, here to start hey. the episode. Scott, thank you so much. Well, Adventure Scott. Well, you too, Scott. But Adventure Scott, thank you so much. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear that. And, and truly, I mean, we do this. We have a great time doing it. And we run into people every now and then. But hearing these kind of things, it just makes what we do that much more special and really warms the cockles of our hearts here. So I thank Family you show. so very, very much. And I know Patrick, even with his dad jokes, thanks you very, <laughs> very much as well. Oh yeah. You know what? In a weird way, that's kind of like our pay. I won't I won't get into detail, but yeah, yeah. Uh, a, another content creator who I'm, I'm very close with, they he posted on the board game reviewers and media page. He's like, Hey guys, when do you when do you start a Patreon? When's a good point to start doing fundraising for your platform? And my response was never. You know what I mean? <laughs> Basically, it was never. You started doing it uh, without getting pay. Why do you need pay suddenly? You know, a lot of the shows do the, uh, well, you know, th- this this Kickstarter is what helps us do this all year. We couldn't do it without it. And it's like, well, you started off doing it without it. How come suddenly? You- <laughs> Point is, you know, I'm not trying to, to rip on anybody that does it. It does. You know, I understand. Some some shows need some help with things like uh, like the hosting and the, the website. Be that mm. as it may, for us, we're in a fortunate position that we're able to take care of that ourselves and in the meanwhile our our pay is in the the feel goods the feel goods yes. that come from from reviews like that so thank you scott speaking of feel goods a lot of it comes from things like likes on uh, on the instagram the facebook the, yep. i don't even know if it's the twitter anymore is it the x it's the x the x right so i'm or, looking or, at i don't know i've heard people just say it X. Just X. Whatever yeah. whatever the whatever it is, right? We post our pictures and we don't we don't spam. You know, I was noticing like our last like post update was like a week ago and got our Facebook. It's been like three weeks since our, our last Facebook update. <laughs> it's nice to see when people share or whenever they like something and we'll post something. We've got a lot of followers on Instagram and I'm like, wow, we only have like fifty likes. I thought that picture was wonderful. I have fifty likes. <laughs> and then I'll see somebody else, somebody random, you know, maybe not as many followers as us, and it'll have like Three, four, five hundred likes, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I noticed a trend and I thought of a great idea to get us more traction on Instagram, right? Okay. Content creator, board game content creator, right? Mm-hmm. It's a female. It's a girl. Pretty girl, right? I'm scrolling down and there's there's this pretty girl holding a board game. It's like, oh, that girl's pretty. Oh, and she's holding a board game. Interesting. So I click on the page and I'm scrolling through the pictures. I'm like, that's a low cut top. <laughs> that's a low cut top. There's cleavage. I was like, literally every picture is is like from here up, right? It's not like you know the face and the game next to the face are pictures of the pieces. It's a picture of the breast assist <laughs> game right next to it. I'm like, our idea ready, Scott. Okay. How do you feel about wearing like no, a whole? No, 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 no. Whenever you lead up to it, and then it leads into a question of how do you feel about. I'm going to say no, 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 no. I, you, you, you know what? Um, let's just go right into our recent plays, White Army. All right, all right, all right. So last time you had me talking a little bit about pizza box football, if you remember oh, yeah. correctly. Mm-hmm. That kind of got me going there, and I had to go and find my box of first and goal from R&R Games. 
This was designed by Stephen Glenn and, as it said, published by R&R Games from way in the way back years of 2011. Jesus, it's going to fit in the level back. Yeah, yeah, hey, the other one did as well. But First and Goal is one of my favorite easy-to-play football simulators. In this game, you are playing different teams. They're made-up teams. They'll be the Reavers or the Shockers or the Cobras. And you have a set of dice. Brown, red, green, blue, and white, I believe it is, for the offense. And a black die for the defense. Okay. So what will happen is you both have a deck of cards. It's for two players, one on offense, one on defense. You draw seven cards. You take a look at what card you have there. All right. Let's see. I think I'm going to run a running play. So that's the offense is getting ready to run a running play. Pulls one of those cards. He's ready to go. The defense, they took at it. And I think he's probably going to do a passing play. So they pull out a card there. That'll be a passing play. Mm -hmm. You both reveal those cards at the same time. And you see if they lined up. If they do, that is a great feeling. It's just on the defense side, you're just like, yeah, you're going to get just plowed into the ground here. It will show you what dice have to be rolled. So you take the dice, you roll the dice. That will show you how many yards the offense is going to go, depending on if they hit it on correctly, if they didn't hit correctly. It will show different things here. You also roll a referee die. So there could be a time that an X comes up. An X means that the game, that the play was just broken up. Nothing happened. Okay. Uh, incomplete pass, whatever. You could get one that has a big red T on it. That is the worst because that's a turnover. So then uh -oh. you have to roll and see if the defense took the ball. Or there's also the flag die that you roll the flag and then you have to roll another die and find out was it on the offense or was it on the defense and for how many yards. It's very, very simple to get into this game. And the great thing about it also is I love the fact that the board is magnetized. So you have a little oh. football that you, that's magnetic to the board. So it will stay there. So even if you bump the board, you aren't going to lose what yard line you're on. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. even have the 10-yard field markers. Those are magnetized as well. So they will stick to the side of the board and you'll be Wait, able like to see where like the sticks for a first down? Yes. Oh, they, they get deep into the, into the game. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have that as well. The thing that I really, truly love is they sell expansion packs for more teams. Okay. Now, it's been a while since I had the, uh, my game out and I, I got it out and I opened it up. I didn't realize I have 16 teams in this box. Oh, and each one of them, the dice are set up differently depending on if they are more of a defensive team, if they're more of a running team, if they're more of a passing team. So the numbers will be a little bit higher or a little bit lower depending on what they are known for. So mm -hmm. you can really take a look at it and see like, okay, let's play a whole season here of 10 games. I feel like playing something that's more of like uh, like the old-time uh, Chicago Bears with that hard, like, break-nosed running game. Let's, yeah, let's run with that one here. And you can pick out a team, and it, you'll be able to easily see what team is good at running. You'll right. see a team that's known for their defense. It's Scott, very, very simple to do that. We live in Pittsburgh. When you talk about strong defense and hard-nosed running the football – why did the Bears come? I mean, yes, the Bears could do that. They, the, that was their thing. But I mean, dude, 
Isn't the layup Pittsburgh? Oh, I know. I know, I know, but whenever I think of like really rough, like running and everything, you think of those old pictures of Dip Buckus just like bleeding and tape all over his, him and everything like that. That's the kind of running I think about. Now, the defense, oh, Jack Lambert every day, all day, 365 days a year. That's the first thing that comes <laughs> Lambert, to my mind. Lambert, Ham, there. Joe Green. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear God. Yes. But yeah, I definitely got to bring this out and have you play this with me one time. It is really a great simulation on playing football. Pizza Box football really gets into really breaking down each and every play that you want to play. This one here is flip a card, roll some dice, play. It doesn't really get weighed down. And even if you aren't a big football fan, this is a great game to get in there and just play this and still have a great time playing it. Sounds like Pizza Box is more about the stats, the number crunching. This one's more, you know, we're going to roll some dice and see what happens. Uh, Do you find you have a lot of agency in the game? Like if you pick a running play, do you you have any way of making it more likely to succeed or less likely? Or, oh, I think they're going to play a pass defense here. So, I, you know, now is where I'll pick my run. Not really. I mean, you don't really have anything set up with that that you can do. But one of the things that does work out that's really cool, I forgot to mention this as well. Whenever you run a running play, so... In football, when they run a running play, what are they mainly doing? They're trying to run out the clock. How the clock works in this is once you're through your deck of cards, the offense or the defense, that's the end of the half. Mm -hmm. So what will happen is if you don't get a first down, you take the offense cards and you hand them off to the defensive player and the defensive player hands it back off to you. So you're playing both out of that same deck of cards. Oh, interesting. But the neat thing about it is whenever you play a running play, you have to burn another card. So you're going through that deck a little bit quicker. So you could run a bunch of running plays. All right. And that will burn it up. Or there's going to be other ones that will be where you can only use this if you're more than 10 yards out from the goal line or more than 20 yards out from the goal line. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ones and it is a great feeling, and it's only happened to me once. <laughs> you have Hale and Mary on two dice. If you roll those and you get Hale, Mary, you automatically get a touchdown, no matter where you are on the field. Oh, geez. So if, if Hale's on one-sixth of one die, and, and same thing with Mary, then you have, a, what, a one-in-thirty-six shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds about right. But it is such an amazing feeling whenever that comes together there. And it's just like, what? So it's <laughs> really great game. Now, they have updated this. I believe it's first and roll now, they call right, it. Right, right. But yeah, I went back old school whenever I first got it. I saw this and I, I was like, I got to grab this right away. I think that the new teams will probably work with this one. I haven't really looked into that. But I don't know. I, I might have to pick up another uh, pack of teams here. Let me ask you this. I'm looking through these comments and, you know, I'm a football fan. I'm a board game fan. It makes sense of mashing the two. I'm going to have a great time. But one thing scares me. I see the play time on this thing, two to two and a half hours. And a lot of the comments are saying, oh, it kind of overstays its welcome a little bit. Absolutely not. You are doing something incredibly wrong if you're playing this for (laughs) two and two and a half hours. Easily, you can play this in 45 minutes to an hour. Easily, you can play it in that amount of time. Will you teach me to football? I will teach you to football. (laughs) Yes, yes, most definitely. Uh, I'll have to bring that with me on Saturday whenever we play games. Be broke did my nose, Paul. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You don't get the reference? 
No, I don't. Uh, fine, I'll just play the Rudy music. Oh, oh, oh. I, I, I've only seen that once. I met Rudy one time, Wait, but that was it. you met Rudy? So. Yeah. No, how did... He, do tell. I was working at a hotel, and he was there as the inspirational speaker for the Westmoreland County Chamber of Commerce. So oh, I got to meet that? Rudy. Huh. Oh, that, that's amazing. Feels pretty cool. Super nice guy. Didn't look at all like Sean Astin, so that kind of surprised me. <laughs> One of the most popular games in the hobby, and the oldest in the BGG Top 100, is Crokinole. And at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh, yeah. Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively mm -hmm. for adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle Games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, -E -E the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. All right, Scott, I got a game from Days of Wonder 2022. Asger Harding Granerud and Daniel Skijold Peterson. Dude, what is up with the names of board game creators? Why can't we just get like Joe Smith? <laughs> I have no idea. All right. Heat waves shimmer from the racetrack, obscuring the first corner. You adjust your goggles as the sun glints off the chrome of race cars, slowly being pushed into position around you. The murmur of the crowd, the snap of flags in the wind, the gentle rumble of your engine. A blue summer sky, calm and tranquil in your pole position. The countdown begins, and sudden deep roars cut through the air as all the cars leap away from the starting lines. The Grand Prix is underway. Dust and wind rush past your helmet as you enter the first corner, pushing your engine to the limit. You almost spin out, but tightening your grip on the steering wheel, you slide through the corner apex, still in first. You got this. There's no prize for crossing the finish line in pristine car, so put your pedal to the metal. All right, Heat. wait, 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 oh, wait, waiting, wait, waiting. I know what this yeah. is. <laughs> Thunder Road Vendetta, Martha's Vineyard's version. <laughs> Scott, of course, we're talking heat pedal to the metal. So, but I like Thunder Road Vendetta Martha's, Martha's Vineyard, Vineyard better. <sighs> I was highly anticipating playing Heat for a good while as it's been in the hotness, no pun intended. See what I did there? For quite some time now, becoming hard to find for quite a while and quickly racing, again, no pun intended, into the top 100 on BGG. So, of course, when the opportunity to play with Jason at Origins presented itself, I got in on it. It's kind of a deck and hand management game with a bit of pressure luck included. And to understand how so, let's go over the way that we move around the spaces of the track and what risks there might be with keeping your pedal to the metal a little too okay. much. Each player gets a deck of 18 cards, most with numbers on them, but a few with a plus sign and one heat card to start out. Heat's bad, okay? Heat's bad. Uh, you need it, but you just don't want too much of it. You've got to manage the heat. 
On your player board, you have a little gear shifter pawn that can go gears one through four, which is basically how many cards you can play in a turn or how many you have to play in a turn. The numbered cards in your hand, they're simply how many spaces your car moves. The plus symbols means draw cards from the top of the deck until you hit another numbered card. And the heat cards are basically dead draws. Now let's go back to this gear shifting. You start in first gear, which means you can play one card. But the beginning of each turn, you can shift up or down by one. So you can move it into second gear. If you add a heat card, right, there's this collective pile of heat uh, on the play, on the main board, right? You can pick up one of those cards, just add it to your deck, and you can shift again, which means in this example, first turn, you'll get to play three cards because you went from first to second gear, took a heat card, went to third right. gear, you get to play three cards for your turn. So immediately, uh, you get your car up in gear and you're coasting for the game, right? That's, that's the intention. Wrong. Mm-hmm. That's when disaster strikes because the game introduces an excellent way to emulate the need to slow down for sharp turns. At the beginning of each turn of the racetrack, there's a number. And if you pass that turn, moving more spaces than that number, you take on the difference in heat cards. So a turn turn with the number three, for example. Turn not like a player turn, like a turn in the racetrack with the number three in front of it. Right. If you go through that at a speed of five, you take on two heat cards. Now, bear in mind, you only have a reserve of six heat. If they run out, then you've spun out, which puts you into first gear. Moves you back to the start of the turn. Basically, while it's not insurmountable, it's pretty bad news. You don't want that to happen. Right. Okay, so I have some heat in my deck. How do I get rid of it? You have the ability to cool down at the end uh, of your turn, whereby if you're in second gear, you can pitch a heat. If you're in first gear, you can pitch three heat. So while you're slowing down, maybe for a turn, you're also pitching those dead heat cards that you've been drawn. So the turn's pretty simple, right? Adjust your gear. Play cards equal to your gear. Optional discard at the end of the turn, and then draw back up to seven. Simple. Now, there are a few other details, like adrenaline, for example, which it lets the car in last, move an extra space, and drafting, whereby if you finish like next to or one space behind a car, you get to move a couple extra spaces. But sure. hey, you're listening to us talk about the game, right? I don't have to teach the whole damn thing. So, <laughs> thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Scott, Heat's a good game. Heat is a very good game. There's a lot going on here for what it is, honestly, and it's an easy-to-learn game that plays in like like an hour, right? So it's got a lot okay. of those like checking the boxes. First off, you've got an excellent system of hand management whereby you need to take on bad cards to get to moving quick, but you can't overdo it or you're going to pay for it in the long run. Next, you've got that thematic racing mechanism of drafting, slowing down for turns, each of which play, play to your benefit for doing so. Third, the thematic feeling of shifting gears and what it does for your turn, be it going faster or cooling off the engine, you feel like you're controlling the car. And finally, this box has a bunch of different modules, ways that you can alter the game to keep it fresh on top of multiple maps in the box, different tracks, a bazillion gamer-created scenarios and modules are on the BGG page on top of that. It's the hotness, and it's got good reason to be. Okay, now the way that you pause there makes me think that there's a but coming. Well, you know, honestly, I was trying to come up with things that aren't so great or reasons that someone might not care much for the game. And there's not a lot to say here, Scott. It might not be your all-time favorite because it's, I mean, racing's kind of a generic theme. Uh, Or maybe you're a fan of a different style of game altogether, negotiation or social deduction. Then you obviously know this might not be for you. I suppose the elephant in the room is that this one game of the year and a handful of reputable in the oh my, yes. industry types, most of them, right? And does it live up to that? To me, I think yes and no. Yes, in that you're going to be hard-pressed to find someone who just doesn't like it, right? Uh, right? No, in that I think that if most players rank it out of 10, they'd give it something like an 8. 
like, wow, this is easy to learn, fun, strategic, well done. You know, this is great. It's not my favorite of all time. So I'm going to give it an eight, right? I think most folks are going to have their personal niche games ranked higher. Things that like we'll say Nemesis, for example, I would rank Nemesis mm-hmm. higher, right? Some people hate Nemesis. No one's going <laughs> to hate Heat. Heat's just a, a good game. Maybe a good analogy is the fact that in racing, if you finish second or third every single race, you'll probably be ranked first after a season of races, right? <laughs> I could see that sort of thing happening here where a ton of folks put it at second or third in their all-time list, while something like Frostpunk might be higher for some people. Now, having said that, this game's got drama. It's got big turn spin-outs, strategy. It's got chocolate, peanuts, nougat. It's delicious. Scrumptious. Outstanding. It's got just about everything you can ask for in a medium light game. And that sounds enticing, man. It goes without saying. You've got to give this one a try. Well, it's kind of interesting because I did play this once with Jason. Mm-hmm. And I'm hard-pressed to remember anything about the game that stuck out. Okay. At the time, everyone was going nuts about this game. I think my expectations were so through the roof for this mm-hmm. game. And whenever it came through, it was just kind of like, oh. Um, oh, that was nice. That was good. Yeah, yeah. That was that was delightful. Um, You're expecting something mind-blowing. Can we play Formula D instead? <laughs> I, I have more fun rolling the big die. But I can appreciate what it is and what it's doing with the deck building aspect of adding those extra heat cards. But it was just something that I don't think it really lived up to my expectations of what the entirety of the gaming community was putting out there. They were really putting it out there that this has changed the whole look of racing as we know it. No, it really hasn't. You want to go fast and be safe and cross the finish line. That's uh, what you want to do. I mean, I'm not knocking it or anything like that at all, but it was just one of those things where I'll play it if it's available, like like you were saying earlier about Barrage. I mean, if someone has it and they need another person, yeah, sure, I'll play it. I had a great time playing it. But I don't think it's one of those ones that I'm going to bring out and say, hey, let's play this game. I'm not going to really push that as being the game that I want to play. Well, then we can count on Jason to do it anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's funny that maybe (laughs) expectation is the thing that that gets in the way. You know, when you build up this this expectation of what the game's going to be, somehow this is going to be so insane. And at the end of the day, it's just a board game. You know, it would have to do something really magical to live up to the expectation. I'll give you an example. Scott, I don't play play the lottery, but when I do, like I've played it twice, I'll give Mm -hmm. myself a lottery ticket. And I think over the next like three days, what I'm going to do with all that money Money when I get it, right? I've already mapped out who I'm going to like, who I'm going to have, a, a, you know, I'm going to give this much money to this person. This much is going to go in a trust. Like I have it all set. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere in those three days, I actually convinced myself that I'm supposed to win. Like you have a one in a, I don't know, 10 billion chance of winning and leave it to me to be disappointed when I don't win. <laughs> <laughs> I get my expectations up uh, and and then I'm let down. And maybe sometimes that happens in games whenever we do get uh, all this hype and all these expectations up and something that was perfectly fine and a very good game. Maybe it's because our expectations are so high that our initial response is to be a little bit let down. When in fact, mm-hmm. if we just went into it blind, we'd be like, wow, this is great. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I think that's a, a great way of looking at it. And speaking of heat, I tell you what, man, it has been hot out here lately. Hey, Western PA, it is scorching. Oh, well, hey, I mean, it beats the snow. Now that's true. Can you imagine shoveling snow in this heat? 
<laughs> adventurers, if you listen closely, that one that one was for adventurers, Scott. Please give me a moment. If you listen closely, that weird little click that you heard in your headphones or in the speakers of your car. That was the sound of my eyes rolling farther back in my head than they ever have before. <laughs> Scott, I'm really excited to hear about this next one. This uh, a spoiler. We were provided a copy and provided the copy of the uh, all of the expansion content. Well, you know, you're going to dive deep into it. So the floor is yours. The game that we're going to be talking about is It's a Wonderful World. And this was designed by Frederic Girard, published by Lucky Duck Games. Now, I had bought my copy of It's a Wonderful World at a uh, used game thing after playing it on BGA for a while. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed this game. This is a fun game. This kind of uh, scratched that itch for seven wonders, but in a new way. Yeah. So what you're going to be doing is you have different empires that you're playing with. And each one of these empires, you have certain resources that you can create each turn. The resources are gray and gold and blue and green and black. And all these resources will help you build other cards that you draft that will allow you to create more resources, to build more things, and be able to score more points than your opponent. Whenever you're doing this, you do get that same feeling of seven wonders. You look at the seven cards in front of you, mm -hmm. you take a card, you pass it on to your opponent. You take a look at the card, you take a card, pass it off to your opponent. Oh, God, I should have kept that one card from the hand before me before passing it on. Why did I do that? I hope it's there when it comes back. It comes back. It's not there. So then right away, you're angry with yourself. So that's something you feel quite a many times in playing this game is self-anger for not taking the right card at the right time. Now, on the cards, you have a price of what needs to be paid in order to build the card. So along one side, you could have five blue resources. So you need those five blue resources in order to build it. On the other side of the card, you have a different color of resource. Mm -hmm. Now this here is your sacrifice cost. So you can draft a card and sacrifice that card with no need of building that whatsoever and get one resource. So if you need that one gray resource, you can just take a card that has that on there, toss it out there, and you will get that one gray resource. So how the turns are broken down, you will go through and you will draft the cards. You will then take a look at your hand of seven cards and you will decide what cards do I want to build in order to create my empire and what cards do I want to just sacrifice in order to get those extra resources to help me build things. You will then go to the main part of the board and it breaks down section by section as to what you can build. So you'll first take a look at gray. So you take a look at your empire, and there's a little section there showing you what colors you can build. And each time that you build a new card, you add that on top of it. So very much like Seven Wonders, you know what resources you're able to use each turn to build things. You will take those resources, put them to the side, and then you can put them towards cards that you want to build. You next go to black. You will go to the black ones then, and then you'll be able to take your black resources. You'll go to green, you'll go to gold, and then you'll go to blue. You go through all of these, you get your resources, you build them, and then you upgrade your empire. 
The nice thing about this is your empire keeps on growing and you'll be able to get special bonuses where you may get an extra point for each gold card that you build. Mm -hmm. Or you may get an extra three points for each green card that you build. There's all sorts of little bonuses in this. And it's another one where you look at it and first time through, the first round going through, you're like, "Uh, this might be a little bit tough. But once you get through it, it's very, very simple. And it only goes for four rounds. Doesn't overstay its welcome whatsoever. So it's very quick, very easy to learn. Now, the game that I want to add on to that she would mention that we were so kindly presented from Lucky Duck Games is the Leisure and Decadence expansion for It's a Wonderful World. Yeah, I'm curious to hear about this. I understand you and Tom were playing it. So It's a Wonderful World is, I mean, it's it's a tableau building. It's a card drafting game. You're, you're producing these resources trying to, like, it's a game where you're trying to strike the balance of I need resource production but I need it to turn into point cards in the end. Yes. Mm-hmm. You throw yeah. in a campaign and I'm really intrigued. Now, you, you and Tom have been going at this, I understand. I, I really want to find out more about it. With the Leisure and Decadence expansion, it adds on to the base game. Now, mm-hmm. I was not aware that there were other expansions as well. And I'm, I'm very interested in getting more of these expansions to add on to this base game because I really, truly enjoy this game. Now, Leashes and Decadence introduces, for me at least, a legacy type of element. I've Mm -hmm. not really played a legacy game before, so this is all new to me. And I'm not going to go into much detail on what happens, but it's only fair because I want you to go into this blind. I want everyone to realize what this is. And damn, these were fun. We only played three of the six envelopes and two of the five boxes in this legacy part of the game, but it still opened up so much more and it added a new color of resource and it changes the way you look at how you play. You don't center completely on building just your cards, but collecting the resources to rise on some of the alternate scoring experiences that they have inside. So Mm -hmm. there might be one of the boxes you open up And you could care less if you get enough things to build your empire. You just want to build up that entertainment factor or the leisure and decadence part of the game. You have to, once again, like you were saying, find that balance between building your empire and taking that time off for the leisure and decadence part here. All in all, this is a great way, in my mind, to give this game a nice boost to keep that game fresh. I played any number of this game on BGA and a few games in person, but the base game now is just a constant feature in my game bag. No matter where I go, whenever I go anywhere, It's a Wonderful World is with me uh, from now on. It's just that good of a game, and I just can't wait till uh, we get to sit down again and play this game. I mean, that's another one that next game day, we could sit down with up to five players and sit this out and break it out and start playing and play the whole campaign there as well, too. So it's a great little game. You know, there's going to be four of us now. You're coming. uh, So Scott is coming over on Saturday. You're going to come over. Jason and Jenny are coming. Jeremy canceled. So it's going to be four of us instead of five. Okay. You need to teach Princess of Florence. We have to get to that one. Yep. I'm going to teach. I got a really cool one in that I'm curious about called uh, it's it's Gempire. Uh, mm. With a G at the at the beginning, and it, it's it actually it looks really cool, really interactive. And Jason mentioned one that I've never heard of. He's like, it's relatively new, 
And I was like, okay, well, I'm in. So we've got three on the docket. But uh, you know what? Maybe that'll be it. Like if we're waiting for someone or our in-between game, because we got all day. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) So would you say that these envelopes, like as you're doing a new game, does it significantly change things? Or is it like just seasoning the dish that is It's a Wonderful World? I think the envelopes give you that little bit of seasoning where the boxes actually give you a new ingredient to add to the whole stew of... Adding a rule or adding a component, something of that nature. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, Because they actually add a whole big block onto the end of the center board there uh, for the new resources that you have. So it's really very, very cool. Introducing Magic the Gathering's best worst kept secret. The Secret Lair Drop series contains specifically curated cards that feature some of the most exciting artists around. But act fast, as each drop is available for a limited time only. Now from Magic the Gathering, exclusive pre-order, Secret Lair. Judge Judy Edition. This drop features 10 cards that will rock your collection and put the guilty verdict on those who challenge you. Do you understand how annoying you are? Cards exclusive to this lair include Bailiff Petrie Hawkins, voice of the show, Jerry Bishop. You are about to enter the courtroom of Judge Judith Scheinland. New legendary artifact card, Gavel of the 90s. Get these cards into your deck now and make sure the defense never rests. Plus, get the exclusive hollow foil legendary creature card, the Honorable Judge Judith Shineland. He didn't purchase a car! This secret lair has some of the most collectible and most powerful cards that Magic the Gathering has ever printed. Outrageous! And those are no small claims. The court is in session. This case is over. Step out. Release date to be determined. All right, Scott, we're going to, we're going to, I got the hotness. I just got heat. How about this one from Stonemeyer Games, designed by Jamie Stegmeyer, 2023 game called Expeditions. Oh. This is it, man. The sequel, the successor okay. to Scythe, right? This, okay, so uh, wait, wait, Expedition. Wait, 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 yeah. wait. The well, uh, successor to Scythe? You mean that Scythe has been tossed by the wayside? I don't know. Uh, the spiritual success. Well, okay, not, okay. Not toss. It's just uh, same universe. Uh, <laughs> takes place after the wars in that fantasy Europa that we saw in Scythe. And turns out there's a big old meteor up north. And all those characters that you were playing in Scythe, they're missing the action, right? They, they're, they're growing old mm. and they, they long for the days of adventure. So they get to funding their own expeditions. See what I did there? I'm on a roll uh-huh. today, man. Uh-huh. They want to go investigate this meteor. Theme done. Let's talk a little bit about the gameplay uh, and and the game. The game and theme done. Let's talk a little bit about the game and the gameplay. Let's start here. You've got four wooden stars that you want to play to the objective board. Sounds familiar, huh? Yes, yes. Okay, so when someone places their fourth star, the end game is triggered. So the goal of the game isn't any one thing, but in particular, it's to do four of the things listed on the objective board, from which there's like okay. ten. We've got a big board of tiles. And I mean a big board of tiles. Scott, this thing's a table hog. <laughs> tiles are laid out. <laughs> Think of like an upside down triangle. And the players are okay. starting where it comes to a point at the bottom. That's like your base camp. Oh, wow. Everybody gets a mech board with an asymmetric ability. Then you get a hero and a companion, a la Scythe. Basically, it's your dude and their pet. They're cards. This is a card game slash tableau building game with a modular board. So far, so good. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. 
Okay, turns are actually pretty simple. You got three squares on your Mac board that say move, play, and gather. And you take your action cube, you put it on one of them to cover it up, and you get to do the other two. Next turn, you got to pick something else to cover up, wash, rinse, repeat, right? So what happens when you choose these actions? Move's pretty easy. Move your Mac. There, you're done. One to three spaces, end up on a different location that doesn't have anyone else there. Simple. Gather is easier than play. So let's do that one next. And it's actually kind of simple too. It's just resolving the ability of the tile that your Mac is on. Sometimes it means drawing cards, gaining workers, things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, as you uncover tiles farther down the map, they're going to do more interesting or more powerful things like gaining power and guile or placing a star. Now, the play action... This is playing a card from your hand to your active row. Now, hand is interesting. They're not actually held in your hand. They're just cards to the left of your mech board. Uh, so you play a card and it goes uh, to the active row, which is off to the right of your mech board. A little bit of terminology okay. to sort of wrap your head around. Cards typically give you some amount of strength and guile, but they usually also have an ability that can be activated if you have the appropriate worker. Remember, we're collecting them from gathering them on the main board when we take that gather action from tiles, right? Now, what makes this system neat? What's the hook of expeditions? On many of the cards that you're going to acquire, you're going to find a symbol, either a gear, a heart, or a meteorite. And what these show is where that card can be tucked under your mech board. In doing so, only a sliver of that card is left visible, and that shows some sort of an asymmetric ability that you have for the rest of the game. All right. You effectively, you lose the card from being able to use it in future play actions because you've just melded it if it's a meteor or used as an, uh, as an upgrade if it's one with the, uh, the gear symbol, for example. Mm-hmm. I think it gives players uh, sort of like a side quest to pursue while they're trying to achieve their ultimate goal of getting four stars on that achievement board, which right. again, that's, that's how you trigger the end game. Uh, there's some final scoring at that point and the high scores, the winner. Uh, before you can ask some questions, I just uh, thrown it out there. Power and guile, as you're uncovering tiles, they have some amount of corruption, right? They're just little wooden squares with numbers on them. And your goal is to go there and spend that much power or that much guile to overcome the corruption. You'll take that piece, you'll put it on your board and it can score you some points at the end of the game. That's yeah. uh, th- that's that's your basic rundown, really. That's That's expeditions. So seeing this, if I am in a, a fan of Scythe, would I like expeditions? What What's the good and the bad that would kind of lure me into playing this game? Okay. Um, well, we'll start with the, the comparison of the two, Scythe and Expeditions. They're in the same world. They're very different games. Honestly, okay. aside from that placing a star for an objective, there's not a whole lot of crossover from one game to the next. Okay. Uh, Maybe we'll pursue this one as like a a what's good, what's bad. So let's start here. That art. You know that sweet Jacob Rosalski artwork from Scythe. Who doesn't love it? You know how in Scythe you had that like exploration deck with a couple dozen cards and each one told a story from the art. Okay. Oh, God, yes. This one has over 100 cards, right? Oh, my God. Each with that narrative artwork, it expands the world and every piece is interesting to look at. Uh, It's a a 10 out of 10 as far as artwork goes. Okay. Uh, also in the good column, Scott, is that you have some really neat turns where you can chain like a handful of actions together because of like cards you play, comboing off of each other, plus the location mm-hmm. that you're at. Yeah, It's got that effect where like I do this, which triggers that, which gives me this, and I'm at this location, so I can also do that. Okay. It's a unique game, too, in that it's hard to compare to other things in your collection. Like I can't say, oh, you liked uh, Heat, Pedal to the Metal, you're going to like this. Oh, you like Scythe, you're going to like this. This is its own animal What with the uh, the cards being played to your active row uh, and having them in your hand on the left, the active row on the right. It, 
it's sort of a tableau builder in that regard that's unique. Now, the so-sos, okay. things that, that are like, eh, take it or leave it. This guy, I've only played a couple times, but I can't help but feel like certain things are more important than others. Uh, you have to get a worker early, and there's only a couple of tiles that provide them, plus a third, I guess, because there are tiles throughout the map that are like, do something on an adjacent tile. Just pick one of the adjacent okay. tiles and do that. So if you're playing with four or five players, there's only three spaces to start the game that'll give you a worker. So somebody's not going to get a worker in that first round. Mm. And I don't know that it's a nail in the coffin, but in both my plays, those players haven't won. And I'm hearing some other grumblings that like, oh, yeah, that really is a significant, uh, uh, we'll say, a holdup for those players. Right. Another so-so, not really a compliment or complaint, is the table gets extremely crowded. Not just with the huge board of tiles, but each player ends up with a big, you have that big mech board to start. And you've right. got cards tucked into the top. Into the right, into the bottom, row of cards to the left, row of cards to the right, little worker pieces, coins, map tokens, corruption markers. <laughs> oh wow. It's a it's a bit messy. All right. Which mm. again, not not a not a compliment nor complaint. Uh there's a sweep action. Okay, this this is the one thing that really held me up because we played the first time I played this was in a meetup, and everybody was playing for the very first time. And there is an action called sweep. Basically, this means that the market of five cards that you can acquire, that whole tile board, there's some gaps where instead of a tile, there's a card. And that's like a market. Right. And you can only get that card if you go over there. That's cool. Somebody yeah. buys a card and a new card's gonna replace it. Everyone takes a moment. They gotta read that card, figure out what it's doing. No big deal. But it does happen kind of regularly. And you throw in this sweep action, right? And what this does, it lets somebody basically refresh the market, get rid of all five, and replace them with new ones from the deck. This turns into your choice of either taking three to four minutes for everyone to read and digest oh. every card, or you just personally reading one or two cards going, meh, good enough, I'll try for that one. And just ignoring okay. the others, because it's just like information overload. And God help you if somebody sweeps two turns later. They can happen too regularly, and all it takes is one player that's trying to play like the best game they've ever played, and it turns into like group reading time. It, mm. That I didn't like. There was a bit of downtime in that regard. To make matters worse, uh, uh, we'll say, well, I said sticking with so-so thoughts, and I let it off by writing. <laughs> so I, I'm writing down my thoughts so that I can coherently read them, and I wrote, to make matters worse, sticking with so-so thoughts. I guess maybe this one isn't so-so. <laughs> Uh, there's a bit of information overload going on here. You can move up to three spaces. So you can probably land on something like a dozen different tiles, each with their own abilities to consider. Right. Plus, you can play cards from your hand, which as play continues, this becomes a menu of like a dozen cards. Do you play this one or that one? Do you meld this meteorite or that one? Oh, but play that card instead and I can upgrade my mech with either one of these. But I don't want to do that because next turn I was up and you just... Oh, boy. Right. It does do that. Um, which kind of leads me into the bad, right? This game is long, all right? And it's mm -hmm. not the engaging, interesting kind of long, for me, anyway. It's right. the sit and watch other people say what they're doing and read their cards while you wait for your turn kind of long. On top of that, you might pre-plan your turn during the downtime thinking, you know what, I can speed this up only to find that the card that you wanted to acquire is gone or someone did the sweep right. action or the space that you were hoping to go to, someone is on it. So you can't land on there. Mm. Uh, so you've got to quickly like scheme up something decent on your turn so that it doesn't take too long. I'm telling you, man, four players, uh, a couple of times now, it's been over three hours. It was over three hours the first time and just under three the second. And that's not a problem if I'm engaged and challenged throughout, but... Man, the excitement hits that crescendo somewhere about 70% of the way through the game. And then I'm like, 
geez, are we done yet? Are we done yet? Oh. And that, that usually it's not a good – which is weird because, you know, having said all that, I don't hate the game. I think I'll – I think it'll play really well at two players. I think it'll play great at three. I just yeah. don't know that I ever, ever want to play it with four or five. Uh, oh. <laughs> if I were to give it some final thoughts, I'll put it to you this way. Having played the game, I'm not going to buy it. I think okay. it's a good game. But for me, the the negatives that I mentioned kind of outweigh the positives. The discovery, the you know, finding a new card combo. That's fun. I like that. You know, that, that gets me pumped. But there's just too much downtime in between. I think maybe it, the game is pushed a little bit with the scythe setting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think if it wasn't like, oh, the, the great artwork and it's the, the the spiritual successor to scythe. I think if it was just called like Expeditions of Westmoreland, you'd be like, man, eh, this, this was an all-serene kind of game, right? Mm-hmm. End of the day. Jamie's is Jamie's probably my favorite game designer. Uh, he's been a sincere friend of ours on the show for some time, but Expeditions just it wasn't quite for me. Yeah, it, it seems almost like this is a voyage instead of an expedition. <laughs> it just that the pacing of the game is off. Something about it to me felt like I've I've been ready to be done for a while now, and that doesn't happen in many games, but when it does, it's it's sort of the death knell for for a game for me. It's kind of surprising because I know whenever I saw this coming out, I really thought it was like, um, it, well, like you said, it is scythe adjacent. Mm-hmm. Same universe, everything else. So I thought it was going to be a much smaller game. It's one of those things where I think that a lot of people came in with the idea thinking that it was going to be, oh, a smaller version, a little expansion that you get to play this. A little spin And not a whole big... So it's like you have side and you have expeditions. They're both kind of the same weight. Oh, it is its own game and it is a robust game. And yeah. honestly, two or three player, I think this game is going to, I think for most people, it's going to rock. I, I would recommend yeah. it. I would highly recommend it at two or three. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my first couple of plays, though, my first impression is, oh, it goes way too long at four player. <laughs> man yeah well i mean truth be told i remember you playing this the first time at the meetup at ruckus mm-hmm. we must have gone through four games in the time period that it took you to play that one mm-hmm. so right away i was like wow this is a bit bigger than i ex- expected it to be well i don't remember if you recall this but you walked over like 45 minutes or an hour into the game and you were like so how is it and i was like scott it's exquisite like I, yeah. I was looking up like, okay, what's the price I'm in? And then by the end of it, I was like, oh, I'm going to need to play this again. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if I loved it, but it is neat. You know, at the end of the day, I'm going to go ahead and, and recommend this for a two to three player game. I understand the solo mode is wonderful. Haven't played uh-huh. it yet though. Uh, if your group is consistently four or five, hey, it might be for you, but uh, I would think pump the brakes. There's, there's a lot of great, great reviews on this game Let, let's put it mm-hmm. to you that way i think i think reviewers have a tendency to oh this game's going to be huge so i have to make it a a rah rah you know what i mean like a i'll get more you know i gotta be excited about it and i think sometimes you know our own personal like oh i'm amped up for this i'm pumped because i love side so we naturally oh i of course i loved this you know it, the artwork the the setting you know it reminds me of this this old game that got me into gaming scythe and I think sometimes we we let ourselves go. Well, it has to be good. It's Stonemaier Games. Well, it is good, but I would say temper the expectations a little bit. Okay, okay. Well, 
I'm glad you had a chance to give this thing, kick the tires, check the oil, and everything else on Expeditions. I was so in-depth in listening to you talk about Expeditions, I forgot he was even here. You know you named him Carl. Oh, I I forgot it was Carl. (laughs) Time for the Top 100 update. We've got no changes in the Top 100 as far as games coming in or going out. No changes in the Top 10 either. We've gone stagnant, Scott. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I hope something else is moving around here. Yeah, we got a few. We got new highest peaks. Games that are higher than they've ever been. Paladins of the West Kingdom is up to number 62. Frosthaven is... I got that one sitting right here to get ready to play. Is that right? Yes. Oh, you know what? Maybe bring that one. I haven't played that in forever. It's a great game. I have to tear off the shrink wrap and everything else here first. Oh, geez. Oh, if you got to learn it for Saturday, that's a a quick turnover. (laughs) (laughs) Frosthaven is up to number 65. Heat, pedal to the metal at 67. Beyond the Sun up to number 84. Happy birthdays! Too many bones. Four years. Liz Boa, five years. Man, that's a couple heavy hitters. And Robinson Crusoe, Adventures Wait, 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 wait. wait. Taking the guess. Let's hear this. I know this. I know this. Eight years. More. Higher. Higher? Ten? Yeah, ten years. Ten years of Robinson Crusoe, Adventures on the Curse Island in the top 100. That kind of reminds me, thinking of 100, we unfortunately had to know that Bob Barker passed away this week, but he came as close as he could without going over. (laughs) Did Bob Barker die at age 99? Yes, he did. Perfect. (laughs) Why are we so happy about this? (laughs) Scott... New game just released after us. It's the review game today. I'm excited. I'm going to do the walkthrough, and then we're going to come on back and talk about it. All right, let's do it. Twenty eighty three. Humankind died out decades ago, leaving behind mere vestiges of its time on Earth. As time went by, nature reclaimed land all over. In this resurgent world, apes have kept evolving. They've been gathering in tribes, growing, mastering human items, and advancing in their quest for knowledge. As the leader of such a tribe, you need to guide it towards collective intelligence. Designed by Florian Seraics and published in 2023 by Catch Up Games, After Us challenges players to grow their collective intelligence of their monkey tribe faster than their opponents, and the first player to score 80 points is the winner. To begin the game, each player gets a deck of eight basic cards, each showing a tamarin, which I've come to learn is a type of monkey. The center of the board features upgraded cards that you can add to your deck. Mandrels, orangutans, gorillas, and chimpanzees, and each has their own stack of level one or level two cards. On your turn, you're going to draw four cards and lay them out in front of you from left to right. And the puzzle's in how you configure the cards. You see, each card has a number of frames on it, like little squares or rectangles. A closed frame is going to give you whatever resource or reward is shown within. The catch, however, is that many of these frames are on the left and the right edges of your cards, and they're only going to be closed when lined up next to another card in order to complete the frame. Players all align their cards simultaneously, and then they proceed to collecting all of the resources shown in their closed frames, as well as any points shown, or perhaps even making a trade for some points, as some frames allow you to do just that. After all players have activated all cards, they'll have collected some amount of resources, grains, batteries, etc. That's where we get to the final portion of the turn, where you can select a new primate card. Three of a kind for a level 1 card, or six of a kind for a level 2. Mandrels need blue resources, they tend to provide big points. Orangutans need orange resources and provide batteries. We'll get there. 
Gorillas need black resources, and they offer Rage, which is the game's way of allowing you to scrap cards from your deck entirely. And finally, chimpanzees allow you to reactivate frames that are in your lineup. Now interestingly, when you select what type of primate card you're going to buy, you do so by selecting its respective chip from your supply. Everyone reveals their selection simultaneously, and players have the option of spending a couple resources to activate the small bonus provided by other people's chips. Like if I select the orangutan chip, I'll get two batteries and I can buy an orangutan card. Because I selected that chip though, everyone else at the table can spend two resources for that two battery bonus. And with that, let's talk about the last factor of the game, the batteries. Batteries are just another resource found on the cards that you're going to be lining up, but they have a special use in that each game is going to have three random object cards placed in the center of the table. Each of these cards offers players a way to trade batteries for bonuses. One might allow a player to trade five batteries for five points, while another might only cost two batteries and allows you to discard a card from your row of four to replace it with a new one from the top of your deck. After players have acquired new primates and put them on top of their deck, if no one's at 80 points yet, a new hand of four cards is drawn, and the next round begins. Okay, 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 no more monkeying around. <laughs> Seriously, no monkey business. <laughs> I absolutely cracked myself up. Wow, seriously though, don't tell King I just said those things. Uh-huh, she loves a monkey's uncle, yeah, yeah. She loves a monkey's uncle, whoa, whoa. She loves a monkey's uncle. And the monkey's uncle's ate for me. Four little monkeys jumping on the bed. One fell off and bumped his head. So mama called the doctor and the doctor said, Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. And people say we're monkey around. But we're too busy singing to put anybody down. Monkey doesn't wear any pants. Monkey does the sexiest of dance, says Monkey doesn't wear like the circus just came to town. She loves the monkey's uncle. I'd live in a jungle gym in order to be with him. I love the monkey's uncle and I wish I were the monkey's aunt. Monkey's aunt. All right, thank you, Patrick, for the walkthrough and that interesting little uh, lead-up to After Us. You know, I love, for the record, I love doing those those flavor things. I I feel like we have some damn good flavor after oh, our review. I, I, I after think our so as well, too. Definitely. I, hey, I think you do a spectacular <laughs> job with those things. It's fun to make them. So, adventures, once again, it's time for our 8-bit breakdown, where we like to break down these games into 8 bits and figure out how this game all comes together into one big glorious glob of goodness. Hmm. So, first bit that we have here is the art and components. Do you want to take it first, or do you want me to take it? I'll tell you what, I'll take this one. Um, all right. We got a card game. First and foremost, but along with the cards, you've got some cardboard tokens donning some primate artwork. Uh, well, not artwork done by a primate, but with an image of a prime. <laughs> you know what? Never mind. Plus, uh, the three resources in the game, excluding battery tokens, are flowers, fruits, and grains, and they get colored wooden tokens. So nice touch there. Uh, mm. Again, batteries, just cardboard tokens, but you know what? That's a chance to bling out your version of the game. You could throw in some AAA Duracells into the box and be like, there, I upgraded <laughs> the components, right? <laughs> 
the artwork is actually really nice. Uh, like the, uh, the artwork on the cover of the box, the artwork on the cards is great, but it is kind of limited. You've got your starting Tamarins all with the same image. Tamarin? Tam- Tamarin. Tam- Thank you. Uh, and then you have a level one and a level two for each of the four upgrade pi- uh, primate cards for a total of nine images, basically, that you're going to be seeing repeatedly. But you do have some artwork on your player board, and you've got some artwork on these, those, the object, the relic tiles. Yes. Got some artwork there, too. Minimal. Uh, I would say that the artwork is an omega selling point, but not a downside either. It's well done. Where art and components shine for me is the iconography and the graphic design. I think that kind of goes in bit number one. It ties right in. You've got intuitive symbols. Uh, The game is made easy to play because of the clear icons and their placement throughout the cards and the boards. What do you think, Scott? Art and components for After Us. I agree with everything you said there. The thing that I really like about this is the brightness of the game. Uh, You could really look at this and see After Us and like, oh, it's another post-apocalyptic game here. Uh, It's going to be really dark. It's going to be grays and... Well, guess what? About the only grays you're going to get is from the shading on the gorilla's faces. There's so much color in this game. It just bursts color. It does. It really stands out on your table whenever you're playing this game here. The other thing that I have to say with the art that really super, super impresses me, whenever you're going through and trying to figure out what you're going to be getting each turn, the whole idea is you take the cards and you move the four cards around to get the resources that will show up on there. Mm-hmm. There are a number of times that you'll have one half of it on one card and another half on the other card. Like a half of a frame on the yes. edge of a card. Yeah. So the thing that gets me is the person who sat down, put all these things together and figure out how they would go together and how they wouldn't break. And there wouldn't be ones that can't go together. It just impresses me the amount of work that went into this. This is not one that they came up with some ideas and you just kind of play this, play this, play this. There was a lot of thought behind the detail and the design of each one of these cards that they put out. I sneezed. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I couldn't help it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But yeah. They really looked and worked hard on the design of each one of these cards here to make sure that things tied together. So, theme and immersion. Patrick? None. (laughs) (laughs) So, this is after humans and apes are rummaging through all all the junk that we left behind, kind of enhancing their own intelligence and building up their own civilization. Yeah, I mean... They had to come up with something. I like that it's apes. I like the theme that they chose, but you're not going to feel it during gameplay. And you know what? That's okay. It's a game about card synergies and resource uh, management. The relics, they have some charm in that like you can spend energy to activate the game console, the computer, that sort of thing. It's like it's like an orangutan it was like wandering around and found an arcade machine and got it working. <laughs> It just paints a picture, but you're not thinking that while you're playing. Your mind's on the icons and you're playing with, you're playing with the mechanisms in this one. What do you think? Well, I agree once again with what you say there, but I have a hard time separating myself from not saying, oh my goodness, I'm now Dr. Zaius. Oh wait, I'm, I'm Cornelius. I have a hard time not bringing up those eight names from Planet of the Apes. You know, I have never seen Planet of the Apes. Oh, my goodness. Planet of the Apes. Uh, great movie. I read the book in high school and everything. We had to tear that thing apart in English class. 
But I got to tell you, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, I watched that. I still remember watching that whenever I was a kid. It came on at 1130 on KDKA here in Pittsburgh, and I watched it. I don't know why I was up that late watching it. And I was a kid. Oh, 1130 at night. Yes, yes. And there's a part when the finger quotes here, humans reveal their real personality. Anyone that has seen that, go back to whenever you're maybe eight years old and tell me that that moment did not scar you for life. Because that (laughs) moment scarred me for life. I could never see Victor Bono the same way again, ever. Scott, is this game complex? This game is complex in how it is to do a Sudoku. Now, let me explain what that is. As I say, you lost me there. (laughs) As I said earlier, you have little boxes on here, little frames that will give you resources. Mm -hmm. There are some that will have one half of a frame on one side of the card and one half a frame on the other side of the card. So you've got to take a look. You have a chance to rearrange your cards to maximize the resources you get. Yeah. So you get a chance to move those around and you move them around and you look at, well, am I going to get it better this week and match this half up with that? Or am I going to toss that half out in order to get this half over on this side? So it really gets into a game of moving puzzle pieces around or like in a Sudoku, moving the numbers around as to where they're going to be, where it's going to maximize your chances of finishing the whole puzzle. You could go through there and like, oh, I got this. Oh, I got this. Oh, I got this. Oh, but I let that one go. What if I go back and take this? Well, then you figure it out the other way and then you realize, oh, I'm going to miss three You're simple miss something else. Yeah. Yeah. So it really can get in a lot of AP there with you. Sometimes you just got to suck it up and just go and just take what you get and make the best of the game. What did you, know you what think? I- I would say that just about every time you just got to suck it up and go. You line up and and you get something that feels, yeah, this is pretty darn good. If you sat there and you started taking notes, looking at these four cards, there's obviously there's going to be an optimal way to Mm -hmm. position them. However, if you're off by a card, if you're slightly suboptimal, put another way, the worst alignment you can possibly have of the four cards, I don't think is that much different most of the time. Then right. the best alignment. Now, that's that's obviously going to vary if you have cards that like one side is completely blank with no half frame, which mm-hmm. can happen on like the resource row, for example, or the bottom row. So, and, and when that happens, it's obvious to say like, okay, this one has nothing on the far right. I'm going to put it on the far right of my row. So that it's not like missing out on any frames and all those half frames on the left of it will connect with something. I think it can be complex if you stare at it too long, but the actual functioning within the game. I just have to line up the four cards and then I collect resources. Like you're not going to have extra actions triggering. You're not going to have any niche rules like, oh, but you know, if you're behind the provost, you know what I mean? Things like that. It's, it's quite simple to play as far as complexity goes. I think one of the things we, we bring up that we try not to bring up sometimes is that phrase of it's not a complex game, but what we bring to it makes it complex. Okay. The yeah. decisions that you have to make are mm-hmm. complex. Let's talk rulebook and learning curve. And I'll take the rulebook because I, I saw it and have referenced it. I think you're going to take the curve because you were you were just learning this one from me, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. 
Okay. Uh, well, hats off to the rule book. It's excellent. Uh, it's got big artwork, examples. It's structured well. It gives you the, the turn structure broken down. It even gives you some tips as to what each of the types of primates are going to do when you add them to your deck. Plus, the back of the rules has that nice glossary with each of the uh, each of the mm. objects that you might have in your game. There's like seven, and you use three in a game at random. So it breaks down each one. And I don't mean like it gives you the cliff's notes. It gives you a paragraph of exactly how it works. Not that it's difficult. I am only pointing that out to say they're extraordinarily thorough in the rule book. <laughs> what do you think about the, uh, the the learning curve of After Us? Well, the way that you came about and taught the game, it made it very, very simple. Now, I've just played on BGA. I have not played the actual physical copy of it. Okay. Uh, now, I know on BGA, they give you the arrows as to where you can move the cards back and forth and line things up. Everything is very easy to put together. Once you have a general idea how the game works, it flows. I mean, it's very, very simple. Do you make a whole frame around a number or symbol? Okay, you get that. Do you make a whole frame around something else? No. Well, you don't get that. It's pretty simple there. So uh, I think the learning curve is minimal. Well, I was telling you, Scott, I want to show you this game. And normally when we log in to play together and we're actually chatting, it's when like my wife's on the road or they're uh -huh. in bed. And normally our bedtime routine with my daughter, it's like a 10 minute thing. We'll read her a story and you know we'll play a song and, and stay in the room with her for a little bit. And then good night, honey. And it's relatively quick. And I was like, Scott, I only got like 10 minutes, but I think I can teach you this game. <laughs> and we basically did. It's just not that difficult to pick up. No, not at all. Now, the meat of the game. Mm. So this one mm -hmm. here being as simple as it is and very forgiving, the meat of the game, I really think, is making the decisions on what type of ape, gorilla, chimpanzee you want to go with. Yeah. Because each one of them, the mandarin, uh, wait, not mandarin. The, the mandrel. Mandrel. That will give you points. Mm -hmm. The orangutan, that will give you the batteries. That will give you the use of the artifacts. The chimpanzee will allow you to do things over again, like reactivate a certain framed area. And the gorillas will help you parse out different parts of your deck that you want to get rid of. Yeah, they give you rage. That's yes. how you call cards. So you really want to go through there and you have to take a look and see what way is going to be the most optimal way to set up those four cards? And I think that's the beauty of it, that you have four cards that you're playing with each turn. That's it. I mean, it's not like you have a whole hand or anything. You have four cards that are really going to say how your turn is going to work out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is what I think the main thing there is, is just figuring out what strategy do you want to go for? The meat of the game is what type of primate do you want to go with? Yeah, and sometimes that's going to tie into what are the what are the artifacts available in the middle. Uh, oh, yes. The beginner, we've been playing a whole lot with uh, the, uh, there's the one that's five batteries, scores you five points, or nine batteries, mm -hmm. and you can get a level two. And it's like, oh, so if I go with orangutans, they're going to give me batteries whenever I select orangutan. And then whenever I play those cards, they're going to give me more. It'll compound, and I can really pound those, uh, those artifacts in the middle. Different primates you get for your deck are going to act in different ways, and each one of them is valid. You know, initially mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know if rage is the way to go 
go. And then as I'm playing against people that are rated higher than me on BGA, I'm noticing that they're going for rage and they're beating me. So I was like, all right, that must be valid. So I started taking rage. Oh, so this this works. And oftentimes it does depend on what the relics are in the middle. Of course, you want to arrange your cards right. There's definitely a timing factor somewhere in the meat of this game. Like first turn, you do not want to trade a resource for any number of points. Third, fourth turn, if you see a one for one, eh, probably not. But if you can get more than one point for a resource trade, like trade mm-hmm. a uh, trade a, a grain and a flower, and you can get three points. Well, that's a point and a half per resource. Right. It's like, okay, we're, we're at a point now where that's a fair trade. And then later on in the game, it's like, I will trade any resources for any points, whatever lines up <laughs> I'm going for. Trying to decide when that's okay. Because you might on turn two have a have a setup, a frame that you match that says you can trade two resources for three points. Yeah. And man, that's tempting. But would you be better off saving those resources for next turn? I don't know. You know, that that's part of the fun. That's that's mm-hmm. what provides the meat for the game. Well, and I think that goes right into our next bit with the replayability and variability. So with the replayability, like you said, you don't know what you want to go with. How do you really want to break it down? The great thing about this is the replayability, once you're done with this game, it doesn't take long to play it. It's very simple to just say, okay, let's play it again. Uh, Let me try doing it this way this time. Yeah. yeah, So a nice thing there is it's not one of those games that's going to take forever to play. You'll be able to get through it, play it again, try another strategy. Very, very simple. Variability, I don't think that there's that much variability really in it. I mean, I have a little bit with the artifacts. But other than that, I don't think there's much variability. You have the same thing, but it all depends on how they come up and how they come, uh, you're dealt them. That's the biggest part of variability I see there. What, what are your thoughts? I think you're absolutely right. And I think variability, you know, aside from those three artifact cards in the middle, you essentially are going to have the same setup to start. You may, you have eight cards in your starting deck, so you may have a little bit of variance in your opening cards. They're usually going to let you get you need three resources of the same thing mm-hmm. in order to get a level one primate. So most of the time, you're going to have the right lineups where you can switch it around so you can get either three orange, three blue, or three black. Maybe one of them, you just don't have any blues. You, you know, There's not enough to get to three. But you're usually going to have your choice of two different, do I want to go with orange and black or, or do I want to go with uh, orange and blue? Like you have some options as far as what you're going to get three of. Mm-hmm. That first turn, what do you buy? It's open enough. Like you can't look at the relics and be like, okay, this is an orangutan game. Oh, this is a this is a gorilla game. I'm going for gorillas. It just that's yeah. just not how the game works. And those artifacts aren't influential. None of them are gonna say plus three points for every gorilla in your deck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They they don't force you down one path versus another. That said, you usually have a little bit of flexibility in that opening turn with maybe one thing cut off. And sometimes, sometimes you do that opening lineup of four cards and no matter how you spin it, the only thing that you can get three of is black. Well, yeah. I had the option of chimpanzee or gorilla. And mm-hmm. there you go. Your strategy was was made for you and now it's how do I make that work? <laughs> so agreed, minimal, minimal variability. And therefore, to me, replayability is a weird one because I'm playing it a lot. A lot on BGA, but I think that stems from the fact that it takes like 15 minutes to play, yeah. mm-hmm. so I can hammer out a couple games a day. Uh, not a very good asynchronous game to play, by the way. You want to be playing live. That has me playing it a lot, but if I were to get it to the table, would I want to get it back to the table repeatedly? 
I don't know that it creates quite enough interaction and excitement for me to call it replayable. I'll play it, sure, but I'm not going to like, yeah, let's play it three, four times tonight. It sounds like you're almost tying that in with the downsides, our bit number seven there. That's exactly what I did. Namely, that it's not very interactive. And when I say not very interactive, it is not interactive. When you pick what type of uh, primate you're going to purchase, you do that by selecting a token and putting it in front of you face down. Everybody does that. Then when everybody's made their decision of what they're going to purchase, everybody flips up their token and then you make your purchases. What's the relevance of the token? Well, the chimpanzee token, when I select it, it basically says, hey, I can redo any, any one of my frames. Everybody else can spend two resources to also use Mm -hmm. that chimpanzee power. What if you picked orangutan? That gave you two batteries when you selected it. Well, yeah, I can pay any two resources to get two batteries because you selected it. That is the extent of the interaction. And Scott, this game goes up to six players. And in a six-player game, you can basically count on all four of the tokens being selected, just having your... It's very multiplayer solitaire. Also, when you think of like... We'll say it's a downside people give to game like, oh, it's just a resource conversion euro, right? This is definitely a resource conversion game. You're you're lining up cards Mm -hmm. to get resources. You're trading in the resources for points. That's not necessarily a downside, but if that's something that normally turns you off, that's what this game is. You could play this solo where you play your own game and then just randomly pull out of a bag a token as to what your opponent would play. And then you get a chance to purchase that if you want to. That's what it is. It's just multiplayer solitaire. I hate to say it, but once again, it's not something that I'm saying is a factor that makes me want to not play this. I still enjoy the game. It's a quick game. It's it's fun for the amount of time that you're playing it. The mm-hmm. fun to time ratio works out very nicely for me on this game. Sure. But yeah, the interaction that you have with the other players is not all that great there. So... I think it goes now into bit number eight. Was it fun and who's it for? Do you mind if I take this one here? It's all yours, but before you do, I will state that there is a solo mode in the game. Oh, there is. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe I just created a new one. (laughs) Anyway, uh, was it fun and who's it for? Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun game. It's one of those games that's... Falling in there with like seven wonders, uh, maybe no thanks, things that are simple to play, simple to describe to people how to play. It's a great in-between game, a nice filler game that you can play there. It's not going to take up a lot of time or anything whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, I had fun with this. I would definitely say check this out because it is a unique game there whenever you're moving the cards around figuring out how you're going to be able to optimize the cards and the resources you get for that turn. Who's it for? I would say that it's probably for just about anybody. I mean, any age could pick up on what it is there. They can understand you move the cards around, you get the resources that are there. But I think it has to be something 12 and up maybe for them to really understand how to optimize that moving the cards around and getting what you're uh what you're playing for in order to enjoy the game and do well at the game Mm -hmm. i mean you could be eight or something and oh okay this goes together i put two blues together i get two blues okay yay but you need to have a little more strategy under your belt to really put it together and understand why you want to do that and enjoy the game a little bit more. So I would say it's a little bit older that would get a lot out of this game. Way to rip on all of our eight-year-old listeners. Yep, yep. That's the way (laughs) I roll. 
<laughs> Scott, I like this one. Uh, I think, though, like I was kind of alluding to, it might be a case of I like it on Board Game Arena and not on the table. Uh, it's an efficiency puzzle with resource conversion. And for a quick 15 to 20 minute game on there, heck, I played on my phone while I'm waiting for a tire change or something. It's excellent. Heck, I've played it almost every day for the last few weeks. Who's it for? This one gets a little bit tough because I don't, you know, I don't especially love the game. Like you're, you're never going to have that stand up moment. You're never going to have that shake the dice and splash them into the board. You're not going to negotiate with someone, right? There's nothing going on above the table. You never have that crescendo where it all leads up to this. It's just an efficiency race to 80 points. There are games like that that people really enjoy. And one that comes to mind is Cascadia. Uh, it's an efficiency puzzle. People aren't messing with your try with what you're trying to do, right? If that sort of thing, in the form of a light deck builder, uh, where folks aren't going to mess with what you're doing, if that sounds appealing, I think your group's really going to like After Us. I think that's a great way of putting it. Alright Adventurers, one year ago this week we got a chance to go over and review Burn Cycle, but then I should uh, change that a little bit and say, Patrick, you got a chance to play this and talk a lot about Burn Cycle because I did not get a chance to play this. Yeah, it's so, the rare one person 8-bit breakdown. <laughs> we had a few of those starting out there because I was busy running, you were doing things, so we were having a hard time getting together and everything. Oh, I know exactly what it was. It was Renaissance Festival this time last You're year. You're right. You're mm -hmm. right. And, and Burn Cycle was like the new year. hotness. I was like, well, we have to get this on the show ASAP. <laughs> so whenever we were talking about this before, you like this game. So what made this game good? Well, it's got that infiltration feeling in a game sneaking around it's chip theory the components are fantastic it gives you asymmetric powers you have a lot of agency over what you're doing moving pegs along certain certain paths to determine the number of cards that you can play it has a lot of meat on the bones you can flavor your play to the way that you like it has a lot of good in this game have you played it at all since then <laughs> it's like you know where i'm going with this no I, I've not, actually. In fact, uh, you know, Scott, this is one that uh, not too, too long after the review, I actually sold this one. I moved on. Oh, okay. It. I just figured I'm, I'm not going to get it back to the table. I'm not interested in showing a group of people how to play it. And it didn't grab me as one that like, yeah, I'm going to sit and solo this. So I, I let it go. Was there any reason why you sold it? Eh, you know what? It... I th you know what? I I've been on a roll with putting in music into this episode, so I'm going to do it again. All right? Okay. There we go. Let's enjoy the sweet sound of the fiddle. Scott, this game is, to me, it was very fiddly. Uh, the rules are quite complex. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of niche cases. You had that sideboard where you're trying to infiltrate like the... Oh, I didn't even remember what it was called. I just called it the brain. It was that circular board where you're trying to move pegs to the center. Okay. There's so much, so much going on in the game that you would have to teach... To someone and moving the little pegs on the neoprene mat, it oh my goodness, it struck me as a game that the thought of having to show other people how to play it was nausea. And it was like, you know, I'm, if I have the lobsters over for a game day and they come over at 11, we're not actually going to be playing this game until 1230 
because I have to teach it thoroughly. And then mm. I'm going to spend the next three hours flipping through a rule book and going over niche cases with people. The game is interesting as a solo game. Uh, I gave it okay. a few scenarios and I was enjoying myself. Don't get me wrong. Right. But as far as like a game to play with a group, I didn't see that. And that's usually one of the criteria for a game that I'm looking to keep. Sure. And that's why I sold it. Okay. Well, you sold it, but would you recommend the game? For a solo gamer, yes. And a solo gamer with patience. Someone who, especially if you can leave a game set up on the table, if you got to break it down <laughs> when you're done. Oh, I don't know about that. The scenarios are kind of standalone and it's pretty easy to keep your character like separated so that you can, if you have to put it back in the box, you can get it back to the table relatively quickly. You're going to okay. have to undo the map anyway for your next scenario. That's not the end of the world. The issue is that you are going to spend some time reading some flavor. You're going to spend some time, okay, I go into this room, what happens next? And then you're going to spend some time trying to refresh yourself and wait, what, what is the rule there? Mm. You know, like chip theory for, for as much as I love the components, they do have the issue where like on the bottom of the chip, there will be three little symbols and you're like, man, I, you know, what is that symbol again? And you got to, you go thumbing through the book. And then the next chip over has got a completely different three symbols on it. And it's, oh God, now I got to try and commit to memory how oh, that one's going to behave before I make my move. Yeah. Um, if you're a solo gamer and you have patience, I think you will thoroughly enjoy Burnside. There's a lot of game in here. You're going to feel fulfilled after your plays. For anyone else, it's kind of hard for me to recommend. Okay, well, there we go, adventurers. One year later, it's uh, hard to really recommend for a whole group, but Solo Gamer, give it a try. King, we haven't done this in a while. It's time to dip into the old mailbag for a question that would have been posed from an adventurer, Jerry. What do we got? Okay, Jerry says, Hi guys, I've been thinking quite a bit lately about games that I'm less likely to play and why that might happen. They appear to be good games, but something holds me back for various reasons. One factor in particular are games that overstay their welcome. They'd be good, except that they go longer than I feel like they should. A recent example for me was Sagani. I like tile laying games, and this one does pretty well, loose theme aside. A friend and I tried a game several weeks ago. Without discussing it during the game, we were both bored by the end of it. If it had finished halfway through, we would have been happy and keen to play again, but it just kept going. On the flip side, I recently finished teaching a game of Ark Nova with my AP-prone friend, the same one. It took almost four hours, but it was fine. He enjoyed the game, I enjoyed the game, he's keen to play it again, and we'll take less time next time that we play. Do you have games that you felt overstayed their welcome? Was it the player count? Was it the ending conditions in the game? What makes you want to show that game the door before you're finished playing it? So, Scott, we're thinking games overstaying their welcome. Some of the factors that make that happen. And maybe we can maybe we can name drop a game or two while we're at it. What do you say? Okay. I think I could uh, come up with a couple here. Okay. Well, I want to start right here, Jerry. I think one of the factors that's going to make, why don't we go down some factors, Scott? Let's, let's, we, we came up with a good list and I feel like this is good. I feel, okay. I feel like we've got some good ones. Yes. Number yes. one, games that get repetitive. Games that get repetitive where you feel like you're doing the same thing, wash, rinse, repeat, especially if the decisions are simple. Okay, it's back to me. Mm -hmm. My brain's not being challenged. I, I just go through the motions. That is a telltale sign for me. And if your game, starts to feel that way oh man that's that is overstaying the welcome what you got well 
A game is too long for what it offers. It tries to fit too much into a simple game. They have a good idea, but they try and add a little bit too much to it to really kind of amp it up, but it just doesn't really work there. Game too long for what it offers. I feel like we need to do some some name drops, so I'll go with a, a low-hanging fruit for that. Game too long for what it offers, Munchkin. <laughs> now, Munchkin's got the gang up on the... Sorry, Kyle. I know you love it. Munchkin's got the gang up on the leader problem. So once somebody's at nine points, everybody just beats them down until they're at six. And that just goes on and on. And let's be honest. Your turn is, I flip a card. Can I beat it? Or is it is it a monster? Great. I got to fight it. Can I beat it? No. Or can I beat it? Yes. And and that's basically it. And then you draw a couple of things. So it does have a tendency to overstay the welcome because it's a bit long for what it's offering. Very true. Very true. Too much downtime between turns. You ever mm. take your turn and feel like you could play another game on your phone while you're waiting for your next turn? <laughs> Ooh. I'll give a couple of examples. Uh, one that I just mentioned earlier, I felt expeditions had too much downtime in between turns. And there wasn't a lot of like, somebody does an action, so you follow the action. I feel like really good games, really good designs find a way to keep you doing things, keeping you invested in the board and other people while they're doing their thing, or even giving you actions to do when you just have to sit there. Ooh, that's downtime, and I hate to say it, but one of the games that I listed in my top 10, Zaya, Legends of a Drift System, mm-hmm. can't play it at five people, because you'll take your turn, uh-huh. and you'll wait 15 minutes, sometimes 15 minutes, waiting for other people to finish their turn, and that's that's no bueno. Uh, well, this one, I have a game right just teed up, ready to go for. The game has a built-in means of stopping endgame. The what? number one game that I think of, like, whenever you get to the end and then someone plays something and it's like, oh, wait, no, we're not done yet. What, like Inish? No, 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 no. The one that gets me is Zombies. Oh, jeez. Somebody will get that one card that they will get all the way down to the helipad. They're ready to jump on a helicopter and finish the game. And they'll play that card that sends you all the way back to the beginning of the of the board. Oh, yeah. And then that is just whenever you want to flip the table and you want to see if zombies actually exist, whenever you throw the pencil through the throat of the person that played that card. <laughs> Anything that can reset a game. Oh, that is a that is a means of saying ugh, you're going to be over saying you're welcome. Anything that takes you from where you're at to just start over. Ugh. Yeah. One other one. I didn't write this one down because this kind of just popped in my head. The games that overstay their welcome. And this is kind of a tough way to say this. The person teaching the game doesn't do a good job of teaching it. Oh, so not a game fault, more of the uh, the people that are playing the game in that instance. So you may get into the point where you start playing this and you aren't sure exactly how to play. You want to ask questions, but you know it's going to interrupt everyone else's enjoyment. If they're all having fun there, then it's just like, well, you kind of keep quiet. And it's just like, can this game just end? And one <laughs> of the games, and I hate to say <laughs> this, but... One of the games that just jumped into my mind for this one is Star Wars Rebellion. We started learning that very late. I was the only person that was learning it fresh. Mm-hmm. And there were three other people playing. We were playing in teams. We were up against the time deadline that we had to get the game back. And we're trying to learn it. And it had been a long day at Origins. And it was just like, okay, can this game just end? 
And unfortunately, I've yet to play this game since then because I had such a, a horrible time the first time playing it. You don't want to interrupt the fun of everyone else. So you just get into that whole idea of this game has completely overstayed its welcome. I will gladly go and watch all three of the original Star Wars movies and I'll get the same feel as what I'm playing in this game right now. <laughs> To be fair, that's not the game's fault in this instance. I know true, exactly true, what true. happened. Yeah. You had a teacher that had two people that knew what they were doing, so they gave you the Cliff's Notes, the, the yep. lick and yep. stick it version, <laughs> and you had to try and figure it out watching other people play. Yeah, that that would be tough. You know, we said back in like episode four, we were talking about games that uh, that we need to get back to the table, and we had mentioned Star Wars Rebellion, and I, I said in that episode, I was like, oh, I'm going to make you play that, and uh, well, here we are almost three years later. <laughs> Still and mine, mine was uh, mine was War of the Ring. And Tom has repeatedly said to me, he's like, you ready to play? You ready to play? And I'm like, oh, yeah, if I have Thursday off. And I, like, we just haven't synced up, sunk up. <laughs> How about your expectations? Uh, and this is more of the lines of your enjoyment of a game. It, it, it can be part of the, uh, what, overstatement? Yes, we're, yes, we're yes. Up words I, I like now. to make up words. Overstatement. Okay. Now, you put this one on there. Your expectations. I've got a good idea for one. What are you thinking? I think one of the ones that's, uh, that comes to my mind, actually, is Agricola, okay. in that I think everyone loves this game, and the expectations, I went in there with this game, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be great, and then I'm just tilling dirt and building fences. It's just like my expectations had this so much higher than what am I actually doing right now, and I, I got to tell you, Uwe Rosenberg He's hitting a thousand as far as I'm concerned. Because <laughs> not he's yet to make a game that I truly enjoy. Oh, Scott. Agricola <laughs> is a beloved game. <laughs> so what was yours that you were thinking of? Yeah, when when it's like the expectations of what you're going to get out of a game. For me, it was Descent, Legends in the Dark. The, oh, uh, yes. the most recent Descent. Maybe this can tie into uh, to, to apps and whatnot. But that game had the – oh, no, I know exactly what it was. That game had the app companion, and it's a dungeon crawl, which mm -hmm. most of you are probably familiar with. You set up the terrain as you go, and it's really cool because you can see it on your computer screen. You're setting it up on the table, and you're moving your guys along it, and you kill the baddies, and then you, you go searching the trees and whatnot. Eventually, it becomes kind of formulaic where it's like, okay, I'll just kill the bad guys. There's no clock here, so I can just <laughs> spend all the time I want searching. So why do I have to move the piece on the board to get to the tree to click the button? I'm just going to click the button and say, yeah, I, the next 10 minutes is me moving the piece on the board. You know what did it for that game was the stupid terrain. They had elevated terrain with pillars that you're putting mm -hmm. things in. And I'm like, oh my God, the, the scenarios are long to begin with. Just playing through a scenario would be two, three hours, sometimes even four hours. The last thing I want to do is be fidgeting around with this stupid terrain that is kind of not even needed because you can see it on the computer screen anyway. You only need it for the spatial relations of how far away am I from the door? Can I mm -hmm. get there this turn or do I have to wait? And it didn't even matter because there was no clock. You know, in, in Descent mm. 2, if you were using the companion app for the second version of the game, Journeys in the Dark, you had the option of, well, not the option, you had a timer. You had a timer that like at the end of round five, it would say, you know, the darkness grows, everyone takes a damage. And then eventually it would even say like the darkness grows, you know, two rounds from now, you're all going to die, right? <laughs> so it was, there was an urgency, right? Oh man, I want to go search that treasure chest, but I can't. Oh, we just got to run past this enemy because we got things to do. And I don't normally love that in games, but 
the third descent showed me why that's kind of needed. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just boring. It's like, well, I can do it all anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Expectations for that game and, and the way that it the the way that it worked, it overstayed its welcome for me real quick. Well, Jerry, hopefully that gives some clarification on what we think makes a game overstay its welcome, uh, repetitive, not enough uh, meat on the bones for what it does, just stays on the table too long with minimal decision making. For me, I think what makes a game not overstay its welcome is when I'm constantly engaged. The game is giving me things to do or think about on any given turn. Scott, what what do you makes a game not overstay its welcome? What keeps it welcome on the table? Why why is it in our two and a half you're still involved in a game? Games that give you a lot of options so mm-hmm. that in between your turns, you're looking at, all right, my next turn, I'm going to do this. But if they do this, I'm going to do this. And if that happens, then I can still fall back on this. So you're not just sitting there waiting for your turn to happen. You're you're actually going through, because I'm really thinking right now of Dune Imperium is sticking out in my mind. So mm-hmm. I'll be playing that and I'll be looking, all right, I have everything. I have the resources and everything. I can go to the Sea of Arrakan. Or I can go up and I can get my third meeple to start playing to put them out. Or I could go and get more soldiers to put out of the battle. So no matter what, I always have something going on there. It's not that I just have to shut off and just wait until my next turn. I'm probably going to get hate for this. Challengers is just like that. I mean, you basically, you get your cards and all you're doing in between turns is just waiting to flip over a card. Save it for next week, Scott. Save it for next week. It's just a sweet little taste there of what's to come. (laughs) Jerry, thanks so much for your question. Hopefully give you a little bit of direction on what makes the game overstay its welcome adventures. You can submit a question, be it in our BGG Guild forums, uh, that's BGG Guild 3722, or go to our website, levelupgamepodcast.com. There's this big orange square that says, ask a question. We're out of questions right now. We we need questions, Scott. We're gonna yeah, start. Uh, we're gonna questions. start asking ourselves questions. <laughs> we'll we'll hear what questions other shows are getting, and we'll answer them on ours. <laughs> it sounds good. Hey, I'll answer whatever. Well, adventurers, it's come to that time that we've hit the end of our little quest. What we like to do now is to go back and see how we leveled up since the last time we were together. Ah, well, do share, Scott. My big level up, I got an email with a little snippet of something to watch, and it was really pretty cool. And that is the television show that I filmed last October is actually coming out this coming October, October 1st and October 8th. Yes, you're going to have a cliffhanger in between them. It's going to be at 5.30 p.m. on EWTN. Check your local listings for Evangelical World Television Network for Saints vs. Scoundrels. And it will be Karl Marx versus Hilary Belloc. And that's the big one to keep an eye out for. So you get to see me on there yelling about communism for a whole hour. <laughs> Very nice. I'm looking forward to it. I won't be doing it on October 1st, though, because we're going to be at PGX. But, dude, you're marking the 8th. I'm looking forward to seeing Scott on the on the screen. That's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. What do you got, Patrick? Dude, a day of playing the hits. 
We had you over at, well, you were part of this. We oh, had yeah. two tables, a little game day in the basement, which normally that capped at like four or five people. We had eight. So we had two tables running and man, what a good time. And the hits were getting back to the table. I don't think we learned anything new that day. We're, we're rocking Dark Tower, Thunder Road, Clank. It's rare that we get that chance to go back and replay mm. some of our favorites. And we got to for an entire day. And frankly, it's been so long since we've done that. That is my level up. I was glad to be part of that, and that was just so much fun, like you said, to be able to go back and visit games and not have to learn something new. It's good to go back and visit old friends. Hey, Adventures, don't forget, September 30th and October 1st is the PGX Retro Gaming Convention. This is in Monroeville. It's like 10 minutes southeast of Pittsburgh. It's a day of gaming. They got retro video games, tabletop games. King Scott and I are going to be there. Brown Castle Games will be there with the best crokinole boards money can buy. They're going to be doing mm-hmm. demos. Man, I'm looking forward to seeing Steven. That's going to be a blast. If you're not in the Pittsburgh area, if it's only a few hours drive, I'm telling you what, it's worth it. Tickets are cheap and it's going to be fun. Stick around next week, though. It's been a while since we've had a side quest scott we're gonna duke it out we're gonna talk challengers the spiel winner and man it's a divisive game we got a whole side quest devoted towards it love it or hate it where do we fall on it scott you can have the last word one bottle for the four of us thank god there's no more of us see you this weekend scott ta-ta for now Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.